Since the beginning of the church, persecution has been part of the Christian experience. In fact, the Bible tells us that all who seek to live a godly life will be persecuted. Today, an estimated 360 million Christians are living under severe religious restriction. On this podcast, we share their stories. And we answer the question, how can American Christians live as Christ in an increasingly hostile culture? The way of the persecuted is the harder way. And this is the Harder Way Podcast. Well, hello, everybody. I am the Turkey Master. A.K.A. Scott. And I am Maddie. And happy Thanksgiving from the Harder Way Podcast. Happy Thanksgiving to you. And we really are thankful indeed because we have the gift of having someone to whom to be thankful. I'm so delighted uh, to that I get to say thank you to, to my Lord and Savior uh, for all that he's done for me, that all that he's done for the world, all he's yet to do, and just for letting me play along and be a part of his program. It's pretty cool when you think about it. I was speaking a couple weeks ago, and I was really wanted to get this point home of just how amazing it is that God wants to work with all of us, and yeah. he wants to include us in his plans and in his mission, because if we know anything about God, which I'd like to think we do, <laughs> God, it's that he is capable of doing anything and everything. He doesn't actually need any of us to do anything, but he wants to use us because he loves us and desires to be in relationship with us. And so I don't think that that point can be undersold of just how amazing that is. Right. Now, we do have to qualify that God can do everything because the truth is he can't act against his nature. So he could no longer see. He can't just decide one day I'm no longer going to exist because God is life and it is in his nature to exist. So I just got to throw that out there because some theologian was bustling in their, bustling in their seat. When they right. Heard Everybody else who heard that is like, yeah, yeah you're like, right. So and then there's one person who's like, well, technically. And he's probably, he's probably also dutifully cooking the turkey right now. It's probably a guy just like me. Just, yeah, just like you. Yeah. Because, yes, my dad is the turkey chef in the family. He does a great job. Every single year, everyone compliments the turkey. I've heard a lot of people complaining about turkey lately, and I don't get it. I love turkey. I love turkey. I would eat turkey every day. I'd rather have turkey than chicken. If I had to only have one meat, it would it, it could pos no, I'm who am I lying to? It would be steak. <laughs> nice. It would be a nice ribeye. I don't really eat a lot of red meat. Yeah, yeah. But second runner up would be turkey. If I could turkey. just do two, if I could only do three meats, it would be, <laughs> we have one thing beef and turkey and lamb. I love lamb. Well, we are having a turkey and a ham for our Thanksgiving meal. And, and ham rhymes with lamb, so I'm almost there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah we're we're excited about our Thanksgiving. We're going to get together with our family. We're going to have 18 people. Wow. And you know what's house. amazing? And we don't have a big house, y'all, but we're going to have 18 people here. We have, we're thankful because um, having all of our family in, in one spot like this is actually the fulfillment of a word God gave me 25 years ago. 20, 25 years mm -hmm. ago. And uh, and so we have the all of the children and the grandchildren and the in-laws. And then we have, we don't just have them, but we have the family that was is by blood. And then we have the family that's by choice. We chose us or they chose them. So we have a spare set of grandparents that are going to be with us. And a spare set of siblings that are going to be with us. 
And we're excited just to have everybody under one roof and and uh, contributing and uh, breaking bread together. And it's exciting. It'll be really fun. And, you know, with all of the fun of Thanksgiving, I think also sometimes comes a little bit of stress. Do you ever get stressed around the holidays? I do. I do. Not every. Yeah, I do. You're like, should I say yes or no? I don't know. Where this is well, going. I was just thinking about what Me, I, yes. the statement that I just said. We just talked about how we're going to have this great food, which it is great. The the, the girls start cooking two days before. Uh, I start that turkey thawing a week before, and then we get it going. I made three sweet potato pies today, y'all. From scratch, like cooked the sweet potatoes, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. If not, yeah, made not, the crust myself. Yeah. Um, and so we say that, and and there's somebody right now that's listening, or maybe you, or maybe you have some other experiences where you compare yourself to that, and you say, "Well, I wish I'd have made better decisions, and I had that in my life, or I wish God did that for me," or you know what I'm saying? You're, you're mm-hmm. dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that a lot of our holiday stresses ultimately can be found, their root can be found in discontentment. Right. And I think that discontentment is so common during the holidays. And it seems kind of ironic that we would be discontented around a holiday where the whole point is being thankful. It seems kind of funny. But I think that that juxtaposition is really no better illustrated than when we think about Thanksgiving and then Black Friday. Right. Right. And like, I think our society's gotten a little bit better. <clears throat> it's not as improved. bad. I think after COVID, it's gotten a little better with the Black Friday craziness. But if you remember a few years ago, people were getting trampled every year at no, Walmart. People it used were to be so, crazy. It used to be fun. You know, I actually worked on the first um, official Black Friday. I remember I was working retail, Long's Drug Store. My brother worked there at the time as well. And they told us, Hey, they're doing this new thing. You know, it's like they've called it Black Friday for years, but now we're, now all the stores are going to do all these special sales to get people in. And so we had to get briefed on all the deals. And I remember we had we had um, two liters of Pepsi products, and they were like thirty nine cents, twenty nine cents, which normally they were ninety nine cents to a dollar twenty nine. Yeah, so big markdown, <laughs> big sale, free donuts and free coffee. So the doors fly open. And people at, at opening time, we opened early. You know, I think we opened at 6 a.m. or I think it was 6 a.m. And all I remember is that there were there were piles. We I don't I bet you we had fifty dozen donuts. Fifty dozen. Okay. Fifty dozen. Wow. And they were stacked from floor to ceiling, and uh, not quite the ceiling, but they were stacked yeah. high and deep. But we didn't have somebody monitor it. And people came in and they were just like dumping donuts in their purses and they were taking whole boxes. And we, our donuts made it 45 minutes. See, and that, just if I can make a brief aside, that is a perfect example of gluttony. Consumption without consideration. And I think that you actually see more gluttony on Black Friday than you do on Thanksgiving. Preach there, young sister. (laughs) I do, because I think on Black Friday... People get so crazy. They're running into the stores. They're taking stuff that they probably don't even need just because it's on sale. Right. And look, I get it. I was just texting um, my friend and I was saying, you know, oh, I'm getting all these Black Friday emails. And, you know, my brain is saying, drain your whole bank account and buy everything that's on sale. Uh Because it's like, oh, well, if it's on sale, that means I need it. Right. Even if I don't need it. But things that you don't need, go into the store to get those. And then hoarding up a whole bunch of them. 
even when there are other people who would like them and maybe they actually need them. Because I, I remember there being a lot of times where there would be people I knew who would do the Black Friday shopping, not because they were just, oh, I gotta get those sales, but because that was one of the only ways that they could really get Christmas presents and stuff for their family members, for their kids, was if they bought them on those crazy sales because money was tight. Right. And sometimes sometimes they'd show up, right? Yeah, well, that was and us when gone. you were that was us when you were little. Um we would, you know, your mother is uh she can squeeze 15 cents out of a nickel. Um she's I mean, and I don't mean she's cheap, I mean she's thrifty. She can she searches the sales. She I mean, she always does that. She feels like it's and I agree with her. She feels like it's good stewardship. And yeah. that, right? So, um, and so she's always done that. And, you know, I'd have a list on, uh, for a few years there on, on Black Friday, I had a list and I'd go out and, well, we need this. I'm getting this, I'm getting this, I'm getting this. Mm-hmm. Usually the stuff that we wanted, it wasn't high demand. We weren't, we weren't right. Like the big box stuff. TVs and stuff. People weren't really doing much of that then. Yeah. To be honest with you. Um, and it was, uh, in fact, flat screen TVs or the, back then didn't really exist except for in concept. Yeah. Um, you know, I know that uh, because your your uncle was one of the vice presidents at Hitachi, he told me, we have these pictures that are rectangular, these TVs that are rectangular, just hang them on a the wall like a picture. And they're going to be coming out in a few years. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, you know, now that's all we use. But. What's crazy now is they have ones that are so thin that they're actually in frames and look like pictures. pictures. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Technology. So, so let's keep let's keep going on Thanksgiving. So we do have that juxtaposition between we between Friday, good uh, Black Friday, and everybody's going out and getting deals. And I, my encouragement is just check your heart. Absolutely, there's nothing wrong with going and taking advantage of the sales. I'm definitely going to do a little bit of online shopping this weekend of some things that I need. But are you going? Just to get a whole bunch of stuff you don't need because you think, oh, well, it's on sale, so I need to get this. Or I need to stock up on all these things, even though there might be other people going who really need those things who might not be able to get them because of you. Like the last year I went out, um, I ran into one of my Bible college professors, uh, Dr. Oakley. Oh. and uh, This was a while ago. It was a while ago. He's still alive then. Yeah. We called him the Archbishop. And we wound up running together that morning. We, We had pretty much the same list. He had a huge family. Hmm. And he, like us, had people who would just like, literally, just said, "We're here, we're not leaving." So you're, we're, we're family now. <laughs> so, so he was buying them presents, and uh, he, he was he was a good man. I I, I miss him. Um, not the greatest professor, uh, believe it or not, but a good, good, good man. And uh, if I had to model, uh, if I had to have a professor that was a good man versus one that was like the best teacher of obscure knowledge, I'd take a good man because I learned a lot from him. Mm. And anyway, we, we had a great morning that morning and it was kind of the last time I did it. And yeah, I don't know if he did it again or not, but it was a lot of fun going and standing in line at Target and they were bringing us out hot cocoa. And then we went and stood in line at some other place. Yeah. It's freezing cold, you know, for, for Northern California, it was freezing cold outside and it was all right. But, you know, um, in that time period, I was just newly introduced to the persecuted church. Um, yeah. Early ministry years because I was a, I was a pastor before a year or two and I was reading about persecution in Nigeria primarily uh, and that was the which is to, still going on you guys oh it's worse and it's and no one and no one cares it seems like 
Yeah, there's there's sadly. tremendous persecution all through Africa, and uh, you know, I went to Bible college with a with a young lady who was North African, um, and I remember asking her on my first holiday break, "So are you going home for Christmas?" No, I can't go home, and we don't celebrate Christmas. I'm Muslim. My brother became a Christian. He converted me. All my other brothers and my parents are sworn to kill me mm. for converting. And um, so persecution and the cost of following Jesus is very real. Uh, she was a delightful, by the way. Uh, and I, I remember I had memorized a passage of uh, poetry in French. Mm-hmm. And and she, and she spoke French. I think she was from Algeria, and she spoke French. Oh yeah, For, that and, would make sense. They speak Arabic. French there, and there's yeah. a lot of Muslims in Algeria. And I spoke, and I remember I recited it to her, and and her face turned red, and she said, "Um, these are things you should not say as a Christian." I said, "Oh man, well, I won't say. I don't know what they mean, but I don't want to know." Yeah, yeah. It's not the only time I've done that. Um. So if you're going to memorize anything in a foreign language, you guys, um, look it up. Before you say it to somebody else. Exactly. Go with like Koine Greek or Hebrew. Memorize it from the Bible. Yes. Then you know. Then you know you're good. Yeah. Although you might be a little iffy with Song of Solomon. Be careful who you're reading that aloud to. What? Have you read that yet? Are you old enough? <laughs> well, you're not even 30. Yeah. You know, in the in back in the ancient times, they actually would say that the men couldn't read Song of Solomon until they were 30 years old. So how do we have Thanksgiving on the harder way? Well, I think I think there are a few principles that can be taken. Before we go, let's do that. Let's do a little trivia with our audience. Oh, yes. Okay, because, guys. you know, the pilgrims were on the harder way. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and now something I learned today was that term pilgrims didn't actually come around until the 1800s, late, late 1800s. They were just called, they were just the Puritan or the settlers. Yeah, and they weren't going around calling themselves pilgrims. So you had these, this, these, like hun- John Wayne. these, hundred, these hundred people. Hey, pilgrims. Who were um, who were leaving England, uh, you know, they, and they were the king was really, really, really uh, dissatisfied with them. And their deal was, you either get out of here or you're going to wind up in jail or dead. Yeah, because you're not part of the Anglican Church. So, trivia question, first question, um, and we'll we'll, we'll uh, give you time to wait and think. We'll give it a little short pause. What was the name of the broken down old ship? And yes, it was broken down and old. That they took across the ocean. Was the Mayflower. Okay, and what was the name of the easy one? What was the name of the ocean they crossed? Did you say that in your last question? No, I didn't. You didn't. It was the wait. Atlantic. Okay. Now where were they trying to go? Because they didn't, they got off course and they wound up in the wrong place. In fact, in fact, their whole trip was horrible. It was so bad. The storms were so bad, they couldn't go up on deck. Mm-hmm. So they were just down in the state rooms that were they had like five foot tall ceilings Ugh. and throwing up uh, and just ho- horribly sick. One guy finally couldn't. T- oh, and then they were, had to drink beer because the water was contaminated. So here's these Puritans having to drink beer, and so they were half sloshed and and and. And being shook all about the boat, it was horrible. They were all getting okay. diseases from being in confined One quarters. of them couldn't take it anymore, and he ran up on the deck. And he wasn't on the deck two minutes before he was swept overboard. What was? And so the question is, number one, what was his name? This is a tough one. We'll give you just a couple seconds. If you've seen 
the Charlie Brown Mayflower Voyage, you would know the answer to this question. Okay, and the answer is? John Howland. John Howland. Yeah, he fell off the boat. There was a rope dragging behind the boat. By God's grace, and you think about you're falling off a boat in the middle of a turbulent ocean. I've been off of a boat in an ocean just involuntarily, and it's it's hard to even stay close to the boat. There was a rope in the water tied to the ship, and he managed to grab it. Wow. And the people were able to pull him back out of the icy Atlantic back onto the ship. Crazy, right? Absolutely crazy. Okay, so then they get they get to America and they think that, you never answered where they were trying to go. Well, I'm going to say that right now. And they were and and they didn't get to where they were trying to go. Where were they trying to go? The answer is Virginia. And it and it was much warmer in Virginia, but they wound up in Massachusetts. Massachusetts, and they named the place that they went the same thing as the place they left. They named it Plymouth. So um, they were in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and the first year was rough. Talk about the harder way. They had to walk by faith and look at and how God provided for them. First, they provide a guy who, through some really bad circumstances, had learned to speak English. So yeah. they have a native, a native translator who can speak English, and his name was Squanto. So Squanto... Uh, was uh, uh, a member of uh, the, the local confederation of tribes. Uh, I think, I can't think of the name of the tribe that he was part of, the Powhatan. No, I think Powhatan was a person. Anyway, he uh, he uh, introduced the pilgrims, got the pilgrims, some, they got the Puritans, the, the, some help um, from the Indians, learning how to live in this new land and survive. Um, and when they got, they'd been there about a year, and they'd, and they'd had a little harvest, and they had a little food. They they shot some turkeys and they got some of their food together. I think they had some squirrels and different things they killed. And then they, there was there were only fifty three of the original people on the Mayflower left. Wow! How many Native Americans came? How many Indians came to the to the feast? Ninety, ninety warriors, and they brought five deer with them as a gift to eat. Oh, oh, I know, right? And it was a three day feast. Mm-hmm. Right, so they ate for three days, and uh, then they gave thanks to the Lord for their survival. They gave thanks to the Lord that they had made it. And when they opened their Bible to read from the Bible, what translation of the Bible did they read from? I'll give you a hint. It was not the King James. Nope. It was actually the Geneva translation, yep. which was the translation that was read by the Puritans because they were Reformed and they were not Anglican because the King James Version was the version that had been sanctioned by the Anglican Church. That was the official translation of the Church of England. Mm -hmm. And so the Puritans, who you might guess from the name, were looking to purify the Church of England. They were looking to um, do things in a way they believed to be more biblical they did not want to associate with their Bible translation. So they were reading what was called the Geneva translation. You can actually uh, look that up. You can still find full copies of it today. It's available to read online as well. If you're interested in checking it out. Now, after that first year, two hardy souls were among those who survived a man named John Alden and a woman named Priscilla Mullins. And the legend is that while they were eating the deer, um, John looked at, or uh, Priscilla looked at John and there was a twinkle in his eye. And 10 generations later, that twinkle was born. 
and he was me. <laughs> yes, that is our our ancestor. Yep, your eleven times great great grandparents, my ten, ten times, times great grandparents. grandparents. Yep. Although, I mean, it, I don't know. I mean, John Alden won out over the captain of the Mayflower. Yeah, Miles Standish, because yeah. he also liked Priscilla. So I'm thinking, what was so great about John Alden? He must have been really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> competing against the captain of the ship. I mean, come on. But yeah, I mean, the people were very, very sick. It was eventually the Mayflower, even after they docked, they basically called it a floating hospital yeah. because everyone was sick. And it was to a point where it took them so long to build anything because there were usually only a couple of people at any given time who were well enough to go out and work. And right. so it would just kind of rotate of like, okay, who are the four or five people that are not sick? You guys go out and start working. And so they were really living in these very dire conditions. And so when they were thanking God for their survival, they were really meaning it. And I think that with thankfulness, thankfulness comes out of contentment. And we see contentment as something that it really is illogical in many cases. Because how could you be content? You're going to a supposed to be a promised land. You're in the wrong place. Your people are dying left and right. Everybody's sick. You you don't know if you're going to make it through the year. You know, I mean, it was just misery. And if you've ever been, if you've ever gone camping in the snow or you've been outside in the cold like that for long periods of time, it can be miserable. Yeah. Right? But you could go home. They They couldn't. Um, and, uh, and yet they had contentment. How do you think they had that contentment? Well, the only way that you can have contentment that passes all understanding is the same way that you can have peace that passes all understanding. And that comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to understand who he is. You have to understand who you are in relationship to him. And you have to understand what this life is all about, because if you don't, you're never going to be happy because there's always reasons to be discontented because even the person with, you know, the quote unquote best life doesn't have a perfect life. Mm -hmm. There's always reasons to be unhappy. There's always reasons to be dissatisfied or discontented. And the only way to be content, especially in those times when it makes no sense to be content, right? The only way to do that is through Christ. And we see that best illustrated with our, persecuted brothers and sisters how can they be content when they don't have food they don't have access to medical care they've been ostracized by their families they have potential to go to jail to be tortured to be killed how can they be content it's a contentment that passes all understanding and it only comes through jesus it really does and you know um recently i've heard a number of uh folks say this uh, in the pers- from the persecuted church, mostly north uh, from uh, Africa, but I've heard this in the past from Cubans and Vietnamese and Chinese and other brothers and sisters. How can you have a gospel without persecution? That's part of the gospel. Mm. And to Americans, that's like a foreign thought. Yeah. But to them, it's our thought is very foreign, and they. Sometimes they will even tell us that they're praying that we'll be persecuted. So that wow. it's not that they're trying to harm us, but it's that they know that there's an intimacy 
with Jesus that can only be known through suffering with Jesus. Um, you know, I used to, I, I think I've mentioned this in the podcast before. I used to finish every Sunday and I think, wow, everything went perfectly and I'm miserable. Something's missing. Something's not right. And I, and I saw it when I went to the persecuted church. I saw their lives were built around the person, the people, and the priorities of Jesus, period. Where are you going on vacation? Was not something I heard. <laughs> donde vas de vacaciones? No one, I never had to use that sentence in Spanish or any other language. Yeah. You know, because there's no, there's no vacation. You know, when are you going to retire? When I'm dead. You know, when are you, when are you, uh, when God retires me. Right, right. How, do you, how are you investing? Well, I'm when there's money, I buy food, you know? Yeah. And so it's a very, very different uh, world, but it's a world, like I said, centered around Jesus, his people, and his purposes. And, um, and, their, and their lives are very focused. You know, obviously, when, you, um, when they're cycling the power on and off, if there's power at all, that makes that makes you unable to preserve food. So then your life has to be about going and getting food because you can't preserve it. Um, and then, uh, you know, they they make sure that you're constantly battling to get the bareness. When I say they, I mean the, the communist governments and the, and the, and the that are oppressing the, the folks that we serve. Um, they constantly make sure that you can't get what you need. So you should be discontented. And yet you're not. But I will say that there are people who allow discontentment to creep in. I mean, let's be honest. We don't want to put the persecuted on a pedestal that they can't that they can't maintain. Right. Absolutely. And right now, a lot of them are leaving Cuba and coming to America. You know, uh, and, and and China and other places. They're they're leaving. They have the opportunity and they have the the means, and they're coming here and uh, coming into our our country and. You know, sure, I'm glad to have more Christians here, but they're not needed. We don't need more churches here. We need, we, they need them there. We, we, we need to fill the churches we have. Yeah. Right. Because for every mega church, there's 20 churches that are almost empty on a Sunday morning. True. Yeah. So, how would you say that we can get some of these principles from the persecuted church? How can we kind of apply these during our own Thanksgiving? ventures this year i'm imagining i'm imagining people listening to this as they're getting ready for their meal all today family, and family conversations and dynamics and it's going to go to politics and all that kind of stuff don't do it yeah no i feel like probably most people are going to have to deal with this turn your conversation to jesus right mm-hmm. and here's the here's the key it doesn't matter whether someone in your family is talking about homosexuality or they're talking about transgenderism or they're talking about their pronouns or any of that, and then they reject Jesus because they understand that he's not down with that, what we can tell them is, you know, we all do things and have tendencies towards doing things that are not in line with the word of God, that are not in line with God's best for our lives, and that the goal is not to become perfect and then follow Jesus, which excludes these folks. The goal is to come to Jesus with your hands wide open, your heart wide open, and say, okay, Lord, here I am. Do what you want with me. Yeah. And let him work it out. Absolutely. And I think also, you know, if you do have people in your family who aren't following the Lord, the best way that you can engage with them is just to treat them like Jesus would treat them and not use the holidays as an opportunity to 
you know, berate them or argue them into a corner or tell them why they're wrong or anything like that, right. because that's not going to get you anywhere. Right. And that's our ultimate goal, right? We're supposed to be on mission all the time. Mm-hmm. The missio day, which is the mission of God, is saving the world. And, you know, when we become part of the body of Christ, we become the hands and feet and mouth of Jesus. And we and so we should be doing what Jesus would do. And you might think, well, he's going to confront those wicked sinners. Well, that's not exactly how Jesus did business. I mean, he didn't approve of things that weren't uh, uh, worthy of his approval. He was pretty harsh with the Pharisees. And those were the religious people who should have known better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if your pastor comes in and tells you, hey, you know what? We're going to sell the building and go buy a casino, make more money for Jesus. You can lay into him. He has a, <laughs> he's got it coming. <laughs> Don't hold back. But if, you know, if someone comes in and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, Larry is, is Mary and uh, he's struggling with all that kind of stuff, be compassionate, steer him towards Jesus. Absolutely. And I mean, with political things as well, people are going to be looking to get into political arguments. You know, there's so much going on in our world. People are going to try to get into arguments about the things going on in Israel and Palestine, the stuff going on in Ukraine, the stuff with our economy, the presidential elections. I mean, I could go on. People are going to be trying to get into heated discussions about that. And the best thing to do is to not engage with it, to say, that's not why we're here. That's not what I'm about. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm a Christian and not be looking to get into these types of political discussions because, you know, we have a whole episode about this if you haven't listened to it, but politics is man's way. Yes. It's not God's way. Right. And, you know, politics is innately corrupt because it's man's way that no matter what side you're on, you know, you kind of got to get your hands dirty. And so using politics as a way to get into just unkind discussions with people and, you know, oh, I got to be right or you got to be wrong is not stewarding your interactions. It's not stewarding your relationships. You know, I just thought of something in part of an answer to your question from earlier about the persecuted church and them having some contentment. Part of the reason they have some contentment is they're not in competition with one another. Mm. because there's nothing to compete for. There's no resources to compete for. There's no, there's nothing. There's just, Hey, I got my little camp over here. If some believers are meeting in my house and you got some camp over there, do can we get together and help each other and support each other? Oh man, I'd be grateful for the fellowship. That'd be really nice. Yeah. You know? uh, so when you're not always competing for more, trying to get more and always having your dissatisfaction pricked at, like we are by advertising and comparison, and uh, um, and all the just what the Joneses have next door, um, you're not dealing with that. The guy next door to you and, you know, is as poor as you are in these countries. That's a good point. <clears throat> comparison, you know, people say comparison is the thief of joy. And that's absolutely true. And comparison, it, you know, comparing yourself to other people is the best way to be discontented. And if we're looking at things from a steward's mindset it means that what we have is what God has given to us to steward. And yes. what somebody else has or doesn't have isn't any of our business. But it's so difficult because in years past, you could see things on TV or in magazines and you could kind of logic yourself out of being discontented by saying, oh, well, this is this is manufactured. 
This right. is an advertisement. This isn't real. This is a TV show. But now because of the rise of social media and influencers and YouTubers and vloggers and all this stuff, you have people who are curating things for content, but making it seem like that is just their real life. Right. And so it creates this level of confusion to where you're seeing all of these perfectly manufactured images, no different than a television program or an, or an advertisement, but it's being presented as if it's real life. Right. And so that's setting a very unrealistic expectation. But the thing of it is, let's say that that is exactly what their life is like. If we're living with the steward's mindset, we have to understand that that's what they're meant to steward and we have what we're meant to steward. And right. comparison goes out the window. Mm -hmm. And when comparison goes out the window, you're a lot closer on your journey of being contented. Yes. Yeah. So I think we should wrap this up just by saying, number one, please share our podcast with your friends and family if you're getting blessed by this, if it's doing any good for you. And also, we just want to just give a, a thank you to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, uh, for our audience, uh, for those who are taking the journey on the hard way with us. We're thankful we're for thankful you. We're thankful for all of you guys. Um, if you want to sign up for, uh, if you want to uh, sign up for the um, my courier update, uh, I have a new address for you. You can go to Atlas Bible forward slash BCI, and there will be a link there to go sign up. Is it atlasbible.org? forward slash BCI or Atlas Bible forward slash BCI. It's atlasbible.org forward slash BCI. <laughs> Why? What did I say? I wasn't sure. Thank you. So Atlas, A-T-L-A-S, Bible.org forward slash BCI. No spaces in there. It'll bring up a page. You can you can share it with your friends. You can give to BCI. You can uh, sign up for our career update. And you can also uh, share the Hardaway podcast with somebody that can, they can find out how to get it as well. So, um, like I said, we are thankful for you. We are thankful for those who are on the journey. Uh, all, you know, all honor, glory, power, and praise belong to the Lord. And we enter his gates daily with thanksgiving in our hearts. That's the way we're supposed to enter into the Lord's presence. And so be thankful. Think of some things to be thankful about. And if you can't think of any, remember, you, the Hardaway Podcast is something to be thankful for. Sal <laughs> Salvation is something to be thankful for. Hope is something to be thankful for because there are people who have no hope at all. Mm. And uh, life is something to be thankful for. Even if it's a rough and tumble life and you're struggling, life is good. Happy Thanksgiving, you guys. And we will see all of you next Friday after you have enjoyed your holidays with your family. Uh, from us to you, we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Let's, let's go steward some turkey and mashed potatoes. Thank you for listening to The Harder Way Podcast. If you were encouraged by this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or leaving us a review. To be the first to know when we publish new episodes, subscribe to the Harder Way podcast on your favorite platform. Until next time, remember the words of Christ. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.